Thank you, brother. I love that song. It talks about running into the arms of the Lord. I remember when um, my kids were very small. I used to have a bad habit, and I've, I've helped myself with the habit. I still hadn't overcome it completely. But I used to have a really bad habit of eating uh, Nutty Buddies. Anybody else love Nutty Buddies? I absolutely love Nutty Buddies. That is my favorite Little Debbie snack. And uh, so every night I would eat a Nutty Buddy. And um, after we had finished supper and right before bed, I'd go get me about a half a gallon of milk and a Nutty Buddy. And, um, and I'd eat that before I went to bed. Well, my kids caught on to that. Anna Kate caught on to it real quick, and she understood that when it got time for Dad to go get his Nutty Buddy, that if she'd go with me, she could get one too. And she was probably, I don't know, two, three years old. And, um, she would uh, follow me into the kitchen, and whenever I started to open up the cabinet where I kept the Nutty Buddies, the first thing she would do was raise her arms up like this. And she knew when she'd raise her arms up like this, first thing I was going to do was pick her up. And when I picked her up, then I could lift her to the place of blessing as I received the blessing. Can you say amen? And, and that's the same thing we, we should be doing with the Lord. You know, we need to run to Him. He is our Daddy God, our Abba Father. He is the one that can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Amen? He's the one that can bring us to the place of blessing. And he does that because he loves us. Because he is that loving heavenly father. And uh, so I want to encourage you, man, run to Jesus. Run to him. And uh, run to his arms. What a, what a powerful song. Thank you, brother, for that so much. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter, uh, chapter number 1. Has it been hot enough for you? I tell you what, I think we finally got to summertime, haven't we? Let me tell you how you know it's hot. I was talking to a brother this morning at my workplace, and he said, well, it's not going to be that bad Friday. It's only going to be 91. And I thought, man, when you are making that kind of statement, you know it's been hot. If it's only going to be 91 and that's not that bad, uh, that's going to be kind of like fall weather when you've experienced 102, 103, 106 degree weather for the last three or four days. So um, I'm, I'm thankful that tonight it's nice and cool in the house of God. How about you? Uh, I was telling, uh, I think it was me and Brother Ben Harris was talking about it Sunday. We really don't give enough to the guy who created air conditioning, do we? I, th I think there ought to be a day set aside where we, uh, uh, we, we celebrate him and what he did. But man, I am thankful that we're able to come and, and cool off together in the house of God and get in the word of God together. And that's what we want to do this evening. Um, but if you remember last time we were in the book of Second Peter, I, I talked to you about how, how to know that you know that you've been born again. And that's, that's so important. How many of you know, folks, we don't need to just have a hope-so salvation. We need to have a no-so salvation. You need to be confident in knowing that you've trusted in Jesus and been born again in the family of God. I want you to understand that when death comes knocking at your door, it's going to be too late um, to figure out where you're at with Him. That decision needs to be made today. That's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. The scripture teaches that our life is nothing but a vapor, that we're here one minute and we're gone the next. And man, that's so true. You never know when you're going to keep 
that appointment with death like we talked about Sunday. So you need to know that you know that you are ready to meet the Lord now. And we said according to what Peter says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 that the Christian life begins by saving faith. It begins by you placing your faith, your trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And if there's never been a time that you know you've done that, then let me encourage you, let today be the day. Let tonight be the night. And then that saving faith results in spiritual growth. After you've been saved by faith and you begin to grow in the Lord, um, then, then that's evidence uh, of your relationship with Christ. And, and all of that happens, we saw last time we were together, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just reread one verse. Uh, it's down, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse number four. He says, we're by... Uh, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Everybody say divine nature. Now how do you know when you trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, salvation happens as a result of the supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit. And when He saves you, the Bible says that He also indwells you, that you become the temple of Almighty God. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16. It's the, this, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. As a believer, you've been indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. You now have that divine nature. Jesus lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's such an amazing truth that we need to get a hold of. That's why he says here, we're made partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so what I'm trying to tell you is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that new divine nature that you've been given, uh, after you've been saved, then you begin growing in your walk with the Lord. Uh, spiritual, spiritual growth takes place. And so that's how you know that you know that you've been born again. You know that you know because, first of all, you've placed your faith in Jesus. That saving faith produces spiritual growth by the work of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you. We want to move on from that tonight, and I'm going to look at verses 12 through verse number 21, the end of the chapter. And before we look at our text, I want you to take you a hymnal this evening and, and turn over with me to one of my favorite, all-time favorite hymns um, on page number 334. Now, I'm not, certainly not going to sing this for you tonight. I, I'm, Brother Scotty, has, uh, the Lord has, has given him an, an amazing gift of, of singing, and I'm so thankful that he has, but the Lord didn't bless me with that gift. So I'm not going to bless you tonight uh, with, <laughs> with singing this song. I'm just going to read it for you, but man, just reading it is powerful enough. You, you, you see what this, this really says. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That's the name of this song. Listen to what, what, what the uh, writer says. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Watch what it says here. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. I, I believe that Fanny Crosby must have been reading uh, the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 when she wrote this song. Now listen to what, what the second verse says. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I love this. I in my Savior. That, that could be, that, that two-letter word right there could be the most powerful word in all of this song. I in my Savior. 
It doesn't say I and my Savior, but I in my Savior. Now, what does that mean? See, she got it. She realized as a believer that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. She realized that when she placed her faith in Jesus, when she got that blessed assurance that, listen, she went from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. And to be in Christ means that you are made a partaker of all Christ is and all Christ has. So she says, I in my Savior I'm happy and blessed. I mean, no, you ain't never going to be happy and blessed. I'm talking about really happy and really blessed till you are in Jesus. Until Jesus is in you. Watch this now. I love it. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love, filled with his goodness. Let me tell you what, where I was before I met Jesus. There was emptiness in me. I'm telling you, I felt so empty and so miserable deep down on the inside. No matter how much I tried to fix it, I could not fix it. I was empty on the inside, but when I met Jesus, I'm I'm thankful just what she says happened to me. I was filled with his goodness. Man. Lost in his love, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. That's a powerful Powerful song right there. I, I love it. One of my all-time favorite hymn songs. And I read that to you tonight because that's the title of my message. I want to share with you this evening on blessed assurance. What it means to truly have blessed assurance. That's what Peter deals with, I believe, here in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. And there's a reason that Peter is dealing with blessed assurance. See, in Peter's day, just like in our day, there was a lot of false doctrine that was being preached and being taught. There was a lot of uh, false doctrine being preached and taught by uh, false prophets. And, and so Peter starts giving us the truth so that we might be able to recognize that which is false. See, folks, today there's a lot of isms and schisms. There's a lot of false doctrines being taught by false teachers, uh, false preachers. There's no doubt about that. But let me tell you what I want to do and what Peter encourages us to do in these verses. What we need to do as the church of the living God is not spend our time focusing on that which is false. We need to spend our time focusing on what we know to be true. For if you know what is truth, then it'll be no problem in recognizing that which is false. And so he deals with that right here, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, these uh, tw- verses 12 through 21. I heard a story one time about a riverboat uh, captain or, or a man that was applying to a riverboat company to be a captain. And he, he put his application in and was called for an interview. So he goes and sits down with the man who does the hiring and who does the firing. And, and the, the guy that was sitting across the desk asked me and said, well, I see that you want to become a riverboat captain. He said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, uh, let, let me ask you this. Do you know where the shallow places are in the river? He said, no, sir, I don't. He said, well, do you know where the hidden logs are that, that's right under the surface of the water? He said, no, sir, I don't. He said, well, you know where the sunken rocks are that could, uh, that could damage the boat? He said, no, sir, I don't. He said, well, if you don't know all of these things, then how are you going to know how to captain the boat? How are you going to know how to steer clear of all that? He said, well, I know where the channel is. He said, as long as I know where the channel is, 
I know that I'm in the right place. I know that I'm in the safe place. Now let me share something with you, child of God. Listen to me. I want you to know, church, there's a lot of things that we don't have to know to have blessed assurance. There's a lot of secondary issues that I still hadn't worked out. Amen? There's a lot of things that I don't understand about God's Word. I'm going to be honest with you. The more I study the Word of God, matter of fact, the, the, the more I figure out how much I don't know. <laughs> and so I want you to understand there's a lot of stuff that we don't have to know to have blessed assurance. But there are some things we must know to have blessed assurance. And so what we need to do, just like that man was speaking of, we need to stay in the channel of truth. Amen? And as long as we stay in the channel of truth, we can't be stirred wrong. And that's what Peter is saying here, I believe, 2 Peter chapter 1, 12 through 21. Let's read that together, then we'll pray about it and come back and, and unpack some of this. Look what it says. He says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance. Everybody say remembrance. Of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet... As long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir, up by, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Everybody say remembrance. Amen. Knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Again, everybody say remembrance. I believe that Peter's trying to put us in remembrance of something, don't you? He's wanting us to remember something, and we're going to look at what that is in just a moment. Look at verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we have made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of his majesty. I love that verse. Man, there's so much power right there. Look what it says in verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, uh, he says, when we were with him on the holy mount. Then he says in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. The word of God is not based upon what man thinks. The word of God was not drawn from the will of man but the word of God was inspired by God the Holy Spirit himself. That's what Peter's saying. And as long as we know the truth, as long as we have trusted in the truth, we can have that blessed assurance that all of us desire. Like I told you a moment ago, I, I don't want you to have a hope-so salvation. I want you to have a no-so salvation. I don't want you to be a doubting Christian. What we need are some shouting Christians. And we can have that absolutely when you get blessed assurance.
Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth of your word. Thank you for doing for me, Lord, what I cannot and could not do for myself. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making me aware of my sin. Thank you for drawing me unto yourself. And Lord, I'm praying if there be one here that's lost tonight that you would do to them what you once did with me. Draw them, Holy Spirit, so that they might be born again. Lord, I'm praying for the saint here tonight that the Word of God might encourage them, that the Word of God might challenge them. I'm praying that your Word tonight might also convict us. If there's anything unpleasing in our life as your people that would hinder us from being and doing what we've been saved to be and to do. Lord, these people need not hear what I have to say. These people need not uh, hear my message. They need to hear your message. So, Lord, I'm asking that you open our hearts and open our minds to your word, that, Lord, you would speak to me and speak through me, move me completely out of the way. I am nothing without you. I can do nothing without you effectively. So, Lord, I'm praying tonight by your power, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way and your will in this place. Thank you, Lord for the, uh, the, 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 your presence that I already feel tonight. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us. And I'm asking you now, Lord Jesus, that you would have your way and your will in absolutely everything that takes place. In Christ's name we pray and for your sake. Amen. Now, the first thing that I want us to see here is that the Word of God outlasts human teachers. Do you know that? Folks, I want you to know something. There's going to be a time when I go on to be with the Lord. There's going to be a time when uh, any teacher of the Word of God or preacher of the Word of God that you can name is going to go on and be with the Lord. But how many of you know the Word of God lasts forever? Matter of fact, Jesus said that it would be easier for the heaven and earth to pass away than for one jot or tittle of God's law, God's Word, to fail. The Word of God outlasts all human teachers. And that's the point that Peter makes here. Look at verse number 14. He says, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle. Now when he speaks of the tabernacle, what's he speaking of? A tabernacle, as you know, uh, is the earthly dwelling or the temporary dwelling uh, of all of us as children of God. He's talking about his fleshly body. And we know uh, as believers that one day this body is going to go back to the dust from whence it came. But our soul, our spirit that was given to us by God is going to spend eternity in one of two places. If you've been born again into the family of God, your soul, your spirit will spend an eternity with God in heaven. If you've not been born again and you stand in rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like we looked at Sunday morning with the rich man and Lazarus, then you will spend eternity in what the Bible calls the devil hell, devil's hell. So the truth is we're all going to spend an eternity somewhere. Can you say amen? And where we spend eternity depends upon your relationship or lack thereof with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want you to know, Peter says there's coming a time when this earthly tabernacle, I'm going to have to put it off. He, he's going to leave this body and go be with the Lord. Even as the Lord Jesus Christ hath shown me. Now I believe that the Holy Spirit of God had shown Peter that his time was coming uh, to a close upon this earth. That he was about to go home and be with the Lord. And so Peter wants to let them know when I go away I want you to remember what I've taught you. 
That's why he says in verse number 12, he says, I'm not going to be negligent. I'm not going to be careless. I'm going to make sure that I put you in remembrance of all the things I've already spoke to you. These things that I've preached to you. He says it again in verse 14. He said, or excuse me, verse 13. He says that he wants to stir them up. I like that. He said, I want to stir you up and put you in remembrance, help you to remember all of this truth that I've been sharing with you. Then he says in verse 15, uh, after my decease, after that word decease there actually means his exodus. Now you know what an exodus is, don't you? There's actually a book of the Bible that speaks of the exodus. The exodus was when uh, God's people came out of bondage in Egypt under the blood, went through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And so Peter here is describing his departure from this world. How many of you know we as believers have something to look forward to? We have a promised land. Can you say amen? And, and, and we are all going to one day make our exodus. Uh, from this wilderness of a world to the promised land that God has given us. And I'm so very thankful for that. So he says, before I go, before I go on to be with the Lord and I make my exodus, I want you to remember all the things that I have said to you. And so, guys, uh, church, I want you to remember what God's word teaches. Always keep that on your heart and on your mind. Because how many of you know you can trust what God tells you? You can trust what God has promised you. So always remember what God's word says. When you're hurting, remember that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Hey, listen, when you're wondering what tomorrow holds, always remember that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. In good times, remember that it's God who has blessed you uh, with salvation. He's put you in the body of Christ. That you have not been given the spirit of fear, but you have been given the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So whatever you're going through in all areas of your life, in different seasons, remember you can trust in what God has said because God's word outlasts um, all teachers and preachers. Can you say amen to that? So Peter says, you remember when I leave that God's word will remain. Now, I want you to know that God's word outlasts those that are for it. And praise God, I'm for it. How about you? I believe it. I trust it. I'm doing everything I can to build my life upon it. I want to make it my foundation for my marriage, for my parenting, for my pastoring, for my preaching, for my ministry. I want to make sure everything I'm doing is according to what thus says the Lord. So I'm for it, and, and God's Word's going to outlast me. But I also want you to know this. God's Word will also outlast all those who are against it. Let me give you something I found just this evening that uh, just blessed my soul. There was a Roman emperor that lived in 303 A.D. by the name of Diocletian. Some of you have probably heard of Diocletian. Diocletian hated Christians. And Diocletian realized that the Christian faith was built upon the Word of God. And so he made it his mission to go all over the Roman Empire in 303 A.D., and do everything he could to destroy all the Bibles he could find. So these Roman soldiers were going house to house, church to church, wherever Christians were meeting, and they were taking copies of the Word of God, and they were burning them. As a matter of fact, Diocletian built an altar 
where he filled the altar with the ashes of all the Bibles that had been burned, and he worshipped Roman gods at that altar with the ashes of burned Bibles inside of it. That's how much he hated the Word of God. But let me tell you something. Listen to me very plainly. Diocletian died during um, the 3rd century. He was born, he began his reign in 303 AD and died soon thereafter. But how many of you know God's word is still alive and well today? I'm thankful for that. You ought to be thankful for that. See, how many of you know you can't destroy God's word? You can't bury God's word? You can't even drown God's word? There was a man by the name of, uh, I love this right here, Alexander Duff. Alexander Duff was a missionary from Scotland who was on his way to Norway. On his way to Norway, he had a shipwreck. And in the ship that he was riding in, he had brought 800 of his most favorite books, commentaries and writings on theology and all kinds of different works that he loved to read. And so 800 of those books were on the ship that wrecked. And all of them were scattered all over the sea. He washed up on the shore with the rest of the people who were on the ship. And when he washed up on the shore, the only book that survived was his Bible that washed up right next to his feet. All the other books were lost, but the Bible washed up right next to him. And he said, man, uh, if I've got the Bible, I've got all I need. And he went on and had a successful missionary journey because, folks, you can't drown out the Word of God. You can't burn up the Word of God. I want you to know that Voltaire said, Voltaire was a, uh, a Frenchman who was an atheist and a philosopher. He was a very brilliant, brilliant man uh, by the world standard. But we know the Scripture tells us the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So he was, he was brilliantly stupid, amen? He didn't believe in the God who had created him. Voltaire said this, In a hundred years from now, there will be no Bibles anywhere. The Bible will be obsolete. Now let me share something with you. One hundred years after he made that statement, Voltaire was nowhere to be found. He had already met his maker. And the people from the Geneva Bible Society bought Voltaire's home and used it as a warehouse. And Bibles were stacked from the floor to the ceiling all throughout his house after he had made the mention that in a hundred years the Bible will be obsolete. See, I want to tell you something, folks. God's word outlasts those that are for it. God's word outlasts those that are against it. You can trust in the Word of God. It stood the test of time. Think about Hitler. Hitler went all over Nazi Germany, persecuting Christians, taking their Bibles, and burning them in the streets. Hitler died by suicide in a bunker, afraid for his life as the Allies closed in. But God's Word remains the same. You can trust in God's Word. It stood the test of time. It outlasts those that are for it and those that are against it. That's what Peter's saying. He says, and what we need to do is remember the things that you have been taught. Now, let, let's go on now. Not only does it outlast those that are for it and those that are against it, but God's word also overcomes the testimony of all men. Look what Peter says. Watch this. Down to verse number um, 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now what's Peter saying? Peter is saying that these are not made up stories that we've given you. I want you to remember it because what I've given you is truth. And the truth is what sets you free. 
The truth's what makes all the difference. These are not cunningly devised fables. We didn't make these stories up. These are eyewitness accounts of what we saw in the life of the Lord Jesus. Now, he begins to describe for us in verse 17 the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration, don't you? Jesus took Peter and James and John high up on the mountain. And when he got up there, the Bible says that um, he was transfigured before them. That the glory that was on the inside shone forth through uh, that earthly tabernacle that Jesus was in. And not only was Jesus there in all of his glory, but we know that Moses was also there and Elijah was also there. And if you remember, Peter said, Lord, we're just going to make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. And we're all just going to stay up here forever and worship you. And Jesus said, no, you can't stay on the mountain forever. You've got to go back down in the valley because in the valley is where the work's going to be completed. So they went back down and Jesus began preaching the gospel and healing uh, those that were sick and raising up dead people and doing all the stuff that he came to do. But I'm just trying to tell you, Peter says, I seen that with my own eyes. Look there in verse number 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's Peter saying? Peter said while we were there on the mountain, when Jesus was transfigured before us, we heard God the Father speak from heaven and say, this is my beloved son. How many know that's life changing? Y'all believe God can do that? I do too. I've never heard God speak audibly with that great booming voice from heaven like Peter did. Now it's not because God can't handle it. It's probably because Israel couldn't handle it. This was something that Changed Peter's life forever. And he says, I want you to remember what I told you. And what I told you was the truth because I've seen it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. Jesus is, was, and always will be the Son of God and God the Son. And he's trying to put them in remembrance of these things. Because, listen to me now, the truth of the Word of God overrules man's testimony. Peter is saying, this didn't come from me. I saw it happen right before my eyes. It's something that God alone could do. It's amazing. Verse 18, and this voice which came from heaven, we heard and we were with him in the holy mount. So the word of God, uh, first of all, outlasts human beings that outlast those that are for it and those that are against it. The Word of God overcomes human testimony. And the Word of God, lastly, also overrules human thought. What we know. What we believe. How you know the, the Scripture says that God's ways are much higher than our ways? If you believe it, say amen. God's Word says that, um, folks, His thoughts are deep thoughts. Psalm 95 and 2. God's word overrules what we think. So if what you think don't match what God's word says, what you think is wrong. Amen? He's hard to wait a minute, brother Israel. Brother so-and-so said it, and boy, he was a great man of God. Well, hey, listen. 
I'm glad he was a great man of God. I'm sure he was, whoever it was, or she was, whatever. But if it don't match what God's word says, they're wrong. And if I don't match what God's word says, I'm wrong. No matter who it is, it overrules human thought. Why does it overrule human thought? It overrules human thought because God's ways are higher than our ways. God is an infinite being. We are a finite being. God is eternal. We are temporal. God is all-powerful. We are not. God is creator of the universe. We just live here. Amen. And so if you have a problem with what God says in his word, you better create your own universe. It overrules what we think. I hear these people talking about it all the time. That, and and it's, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And if you don't believe me, start sharing Jesus with people. You tell Jesus about how much they need a Savior. You tell, or excuse me, you tell people about how much they need Jesus, how much they need a Savior. You tell people that they're sinners and, and, and that they've not yet trusted in Christ. He can forgive their sin. You start telling them all that. You say, well, I just, they'll tell you this. That ain't just what I just, that ain't how I believe it. And they think somehow that just because they believe something strongly that they're right. And it all goes back to relative truth. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. I'll believe what I won't believe. You believe what you want to believe. Folks, let me say something to you. If my truth is my truth, my right is right, and your right is right, if, if everybody's right, then there's no wrong. And if there's no wrong, that means there's no sin. And if there's no sin, that means we don't need a Savior. And if we don't need a Savior, we're going to bust hell wide open. So you see how Satan is using this stuff. You need to understand God's word is his absolute truth. It is his objective standard. When I say objective, I mean it's concrete. It's written in stone. It's black and white. What God says he means, and what he means, he says. Straight from his scripture, it overrules human thought. I had a man the other day. Y'all pray for me. I need your prayer. I had a man the other day that uh, all but accused me, without just coming out and saying it, but accused me of being liberal in my theology. And so I asked him, what do you mean by me being liberal in my theology? And he started naming for me a lot of the things that we do at the church. Um... Well, you, you got that worship music going at the church. And, uh, you know, I heard about your Wednesday night deal that you're doing at church. It's more about than just uh, um, feeding people and, and getting them there to eat a meal. And, and, and why don't y'all why don't y'all do more with the association? I mean, um, I know you go on your mission trip every year. Why won't you do more with us in our mission thing? I said, so you're telling me I'm liberal in my theology because I don't do things like you do things. Because I'm not doing things traditionally like you think they ought to be done. I said, when you say liberal in theology, I, I assume that you mean I'm not going by the standard of Scripture. I'm not trusting God's Word as being absolute truth. 
And then I proceeded to show him in the Word of God all of the things that we're doing and why we do it. Why do we worship like we worship? Well, Psalms 150 says that everything that hath breath, let him praise the Lord. It says we're praising with a cymbal, we're praising with a harp, we're praising with a high-sounding cymbal. We gonna, anything we can praise Jesus with, we're going to praise Jesus with it. Hey, listen, if it's, a, if it's a guitar, if it's a drum, if it's a piano, if it's an organ, if it's a saxophone, if you can play one of them, bring it, we'll praise Jesus with it. Whatever we can praise the Lord with, we're going to use that to give praise, honor, and glory to Him for He's worthy. And folks, guess what? That's not liberal, that's Scripture. I get sick of that junk. And, and then, hey, well, y'all have that Wednesday night deal. It's more than just getting them there to eat. Well, guess what? Acts chapter 2 says plainly that they continued in the apostles' doctrine in breaking of bread and in prayer. What does that mean? They spent time breaking bread together. They fellowshiped one with another. They enjoyed life together. There's nothing wrong with us enjoying life, eat, sitting down eating a meal together as brothers and sisters in Christ, getting to know one another, getting fed physically, and then coming and getting fed spiritually. There's nothing wrong with that. That's scriptural. So don't let, don't let people say that junk. That's what it is. It's traditional hogwash that means nothing. And since when are people wrong that we're going on a mission trip preaching the gospel? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Anybody that's got a problem with that, you've got a problem. We give... We give about one-fifth, close to it, about 18% about right now, of the money that comes into this church goes right back out in mission work. Whether it be our mission work, the mission work that happens through the Marion County Baptist Association, or the mission work that happens through the cooperative program. And just because we don't play a piano like they play it and we got drums on the stage, they mad about it. Come on, man. Being liberal in theology is not trying new things for the glory of God. See, there's some things that we need to keep and be traditional in. As long as it honors and glorifies God, that's, we want to keep that. But there's nothing wrong with trying new things that are scriptural and honors and glorifies God. Are you getting me? So the word of God overrules all that. If we're scriptural according to what God's word says, if we're adhering to scripture in our worship, in our individual lives, collectively as a church body, I don't really care what others say. Let me tell you why. I'm not here to please others. Let me say something else. There's a lot of worship songs that I like more than others. It's just preference. I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of hymn songs I like more than others. 
You say, well, brothers, I don't, I don't know if, if all the worship songs are just right according to Scripture. Well, let me share something with you. There's a lot of hymn songs that are not right according to Scripture. You don't believe me? Check it out sometime. So let's not get into the place where we hinder what God wants to do and is doing simply because we've got a mindset of tradition instead of honoring and glorifying Jesus. And guess what? If you don't like the worship song that's being played, hang on, wait a minute, it'll change. And if you don't like the hymn song that's being played, hang on, we ain't gonna sing it forever. If you're riding down the road in your car and a a song comes on that you don't like, let me ask you this. Do you, do you take your screwdriver and hammer and pry into the dash, jerk the radio out and throw it out the window? Of course not. What do you do? I just wait for the next song. Amen. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Give it a chance. And if Jesus is being worshipped with an electric guitar, praise Jesus. And if he's being worshipped with a steel guitar, praise Jesus. If he's being being worshipped with a set of drums or a piano or an organ, praise Jesus. That's what this is about. And if he likes it, it don't really matter if I like it. How do we know if he likes it? If it's according to Scripture. Amen? Because the the word of God overrules human thought. Let me prove it to you. Watch. I'll get off my soapbox. I had to say that though. I thought it needed to be said. 2 Peter chapter number 1 verses 19 through 21. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Wherein too you do dwell that ye take heed unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Let me give you what that uh, phrase private interpretation actually means. What that really means in the Greek is of its own. So what he's saying is there, there's no uh, word, there's nothing in the word of God that comes of its own. He's saying is, this that we have is inspired by God's, God the Holy Spirit. It's not coming again from the well of man, but from God himself. All right? And what we have, listen to me, the word of God in the, in the New Testament finds its foundation in the Old Testament. I had somebody ask me just the other day that question, that should we be studying the Old Testament? Absolutely. We should study the Old Testament. Because, listen, if you don't get the foundational truth of the Old Testament, you're not going to get all the truth of the New Testament. See, it's in the Old Testament where we find out we truly are sinners. Because why? In the Old Testament, God gave us the law. It's in the Old Testament that we find why we need Jesus in the first place. Because in the Old Testament, we see the fall of man. It's in the Old Testament that we see that Jesus truly is, was, and always will be the Son of God and God the Son because all of the Old Testament scriptures prophesy about Him. Over 300 separate prophecies that He fulfilled in His first coming. We get all of that as the complete package. So no scripture is of its own. 
All of it is given by God, Holy Spirit inspired and written down by God's men. 2 Timothy 3.16, great commentary on this verse. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse number 16. Watch how Paul puts it here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Oh, listen, folks. God's word is what matters, it overrules human thought. And if you're going to have blessed assurance in knowing that you know you've been born again, your salvation experience, your life in Christ has to find its foundation in what God's word says. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of the Lord. Romans 10, 17. So there's inspiration that happens when God's word is given. Peter makes that plain. Paul makes that plain. But there's also illumination that happens when God's word is given. Look how he puts it. It says in verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place. You know why I preach God's word? First and foremost, because God called me to it. That's what he called me to do. And I want to do what he says. Let me tell you why else. Because I know it's truth. And I can give you all of the facts and figures about how we know God's truth, that it's historically accurate, it's authentic in its nature, that, hey, we know that we have more copies of the Word of God than any other ancient document. We know that God's Word is authentic, it's historical, it's prophetically accurate, it tells the end from the beginning, it tells the future like nothing else. Do you know that God's Word prophesied, that, that was prophesied in the Old Testament? Listen, everything that we're, it comes true exactly like God says. And I could give you many different things about how that's true. Many different examples. But let me give you my favorite example. I know it's true because when I place my faith in what God's word says, he changed my life. And he continues to change my life. And when God's word says that if I trust in Jesus, I can have eternal life, which is abundant life. I can have peace that passeth all understanding. I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. When God's word says that I can become a part of the family of God, be born again in his family, when I trust in Christ, when I believe that, when I trust in that, when I did that, when I applied it to God's truth to my life, it changed me. It continually changes me. And I believe with everything in me, if it can change me, it can change anybody. So I'm going to keep preaching God's word. Blessed assurance comes when our salvation finds its foundation in God's word. Amen? Amen. Got anything else, comments or questions?
Any prayer requests this evening? Do what?